1: Retirement Success in Maine podcast. My name is Ben Smith. I'm joined by my, my two uh, co-hosts per usual, Abby Duty and Curtis Wister, the Annika Sorenstam and Tiger Woods to my Zach Johnson. How are you guys doing today?
2: <laughs> Good. How are you?
1: Good. Well, uh, really excited. Uh, this is uh, this is kind of a, a kind of pet pro- uh, project passion of ours on this topic today. Uh, obviously, as you can kind of get from the lead, we're, we're going to talk golf today. And and that's really the, the one hobby that I think when everyone kind of hears about retirement, that they really associate with this. uh, What's the hobby that you're going to get into? What's that passion that you always wanted to do? And now you have time to do. And of course, golf is a, is something that can soak up some time. So yeah, that, of course, uh, we hear from from a lot of people as they announce retirement is their friends and family around them say, so now that you're retired, I bet you're playing lots of golf. Well, you know, and, and so for some retirees, like, you know, I, I don't like golf, but for some retirees, that's exactly what they want to do. But for some people, it's like, hey, we know enough retirees that just retire. And they're like, I've never kind of done certain things before, or, you know, I I've always been athletically inclined, or I do like being outside, but maybe not in a kind of a hiking perspective. Maybe I want to get into something like golf, but I've never actually played before. So how do we start learning to play? Is it too late? Or maybe we played some while we were busy in our careers, but of course career and family and all the other things in our life kind of comes first sometimes. And maybe we haven't devoted a lot of time to the sport and we're, we're not quite at that aptitude level, but how can we get better? So also, but what about experiencing golf courses in the state of Maine, or maybe even traveling outside the state? What are some experiences that really need to be on your list uh, kind of going forward? So these are the questions that we've been spinning on a lot. And, and again, I I think this is something where Curtis and I golf quite uh, enough, I would say. Abby will will be more of our representative of the beginner golfer that uh, <laughs> maybe is not in it as much, but really want to ask these questions of somebody that that really could embody this, that really golf is their life and help us kind of wade their way through these topics for, for retirees. So our next guest is a PGA professional. He's the head golf coach for Bates College. He's also an LPGA tour caddy, and he's the host of Maine Golf Talk podcast. So you can also access him as a coach. So if you want your own help, and you know, I think we all need a little bit of help, <laughs> you can access him as a coach through henryfallgolf.com. Or again, as we referenced, listening to him uh, at Maine Golf Talk Podcast on all the major podcast platforms. So I'd like to welcome at this time to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast, Henry Fall. Henry, appreciate you coming on.
3: Yeah, thanks, Ben. And Curtis and Abby, appreciate you guys uh, having me on. It's, uh, it's a privilege.
1: Well, I know it's a little bit different when you're kind of on the different side of the microphone, right? Is <laughs> when you're used to asking the questions versus being asked is always always a different experience.
3: Yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs>
1: obviously you've been doing your show for a bit we obviously been a been a fan listening in and kind of getting also maybe in the middle of winter as we are right now recording this it's always good to dream about uh, golf even even talking about it kind of keeps it alive for us so love that project there but with our show we always want to start with you and in, 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 as our expert as our guest we want to hear a little bit about your story and always the first thing we're going to hear about is your growing up experience so why don't you start
3: there yeah no I, I mean At first, I would say I've been extremely fortunate, had some great mentors along the way. So I actually started when I was seven years old. I grew up in Harpswell and I started taking lessons from Kevin Joseph at what used to be called Longshot Driving Range in Brunswick. And um, just got hooked, kind of gave me some of the fundamentals uh, I think I was hitting it at like 150 yards at like seven or eight years old. The driver was pretty good at the time. Yeah, nice. Um, that's like my pitching wedge now. But anyways, so, you know, got got hooked on it. And uh, by the time I was 11, I started playing competitively, playing state junior events. And then at, at age 12, I won the 12 and under uh, Maine State Junior Championship. So that was a, it was a pretty quick process. Um, definitely at that age where kind of sponges and we just pick up whatever we we see and do and at the time Tiger was kind of at his prime so I think watching it on TV uh, I definitely picked up a, a few things from that so so yeah I had a I had a really good junior career in, in Maine uh, I didn't travel too much outside of New England I would say um, I did play in a big guy junior classic uh, down in North Carolina which was a, a, a one of the biggest junior events probably in the country at the time so that was a good experience but Outside of that, uh, the junior career was great. High school career at Mount Ararat was, that was fun. Uh, we, we had a really good team there and then, uh, went on to Elms College down in Western Massachusetts to play collegiately.
1: So, Henry, in terms of obviously your growing up experience, if your if your parents are getting you into golf at seven years old, what was their uh, aptitude in golf? Were they already around the sport? And that's that's kind of some of it why you came into it. Or they just said, hey, you know, let's let's drop uh, Henry off at long shot and hit some bombs and we can drop him off for an hour and, (laughs) and go do some errands. What was what was the them in terms of that kind of recipe that kind of al- kind of allowed you to kind of grow in that direction?
3: Yeah, I think they just wanted to get me and my sister out of the house, honestly. I think that was the answer. <laughs> uh, my dad plays a little bit, maybe once or twice a year. But no, there was really no connection between them and, and the sport. It was more, uh, I think I watched it on TV at a very young age, and I kind of had an interest in it. And at the time, I was like, you know, I was doing a bunch of things. I had, I was taking piano lessons, art classes, other sports, obviously, too. But it was, just a, it was just the one thing that kind of stuck, I guess, and has stuck since then. But uh, there was other family members we had that were kind of involved with the game. So I think when we would spend time with them and, you know, they had a little putting contraption in the house where it bounced back to you, like those things, so those kind of resonated, too. So... Mm-hmm.
1: Nice. So you obviously you you've kind of developed this, this hobby, this vocation, this something that you're you're doing a lot of that you really enjoy. But of course there's there's always this kind of point with lots of different athletic careers, right. Is what do I do? Like, so I get out of college and then obviously you're doing that in college, college at Elms college. But what was, I guess, like that was a probably a pretty hard decision at that point about what do you want to do with your kind of college um, uh, degree? And, how did you, how did you kind of weigh kind of becoming a PGA professional and learning about that was the direction that you wanted to go with your career?
3: Yeah. I, you know, I think looking back on it at the time, I just, I was so young. I just didn't really know exactly what I was going to do. I had always had this passion for golf and I loved it and I loved competing, uh, but I never really put uh, that in a career in the same, I guess, line. And I think part of it was maybe my surroundings. I just growing up like I don't know, being a golf professional in mean, Maine, it always seemed kind of like, oh, it's a short season. And it seems like in season it's so hard, like the pros are in the in the shop for six, seven days a week or mm. whatever they're doing. So I, I think part of it was just my understanding at the time. So I was like, well, let's go to college, let's get a degree, let's see, you know, what career path I'm gonna go down. At the time, it was sort of like a math science path. And ultimately, I just, I, you know, at the age of like 23, 24 is when I was like, you know what, I really love golf and I love coaching the game. I'm not sure if I want to be a PGA professional that does work in a shop and, and manages uh, uh, a staff and in the pro shop and things like that, or if I want to be an instructor. I'm not sure, but I do want to get back into the sport that I love.
1: So obviously then you decide to become a PGA professional, which I'd love to hear about that path. Cause I know that's not an easy thing to do to become. I don't know if even the word is accredited as a PGA professional or becoming, getting your card, whatever that is there, but can you, can you describe what that process is like to become a certified PGA professional?
3: Yeah. So, I mean, you can get it in school, which in hindsight, I probably should have gone to a PGM school because I would have had it when I got out, but it's you know there's three levels and you're considered an associate i'm actually still an associate at at this point i'm nearing my class a professional certification whatever you want to call it um but for the time being like it's yeah it's three levels and uh for me i'm taking the teaching and coaching route which involves you know giving lessons and studying other other uh, under other instructors and high level coaches. Um, there's a lot of like book work and stuff and then examinations for each level. And then once you're certified, you're considered class A, which I mean, it's, it's more just to be involved with the PGA and what, what doors that can open for you, uh, being able to play in their events. And then, you know, you get a free ticket to the masters, which is pretty cool. So that's, I guess that's the nice little bonus. Yeah.
1: Henry, is there is there a playing requirement in terms of your ability that mm-hmm. you has to have to prove too? Because I, I think that's like obviously if somebody just walks off the street, does some book work and you know, right? That probably wouldn't make the most sense to be teaching other people how to how to play uh, the game.
3: There's a playing aptitude test which usually you would take early on and sometimes it might take you a few years to pass. It's it's pretty pretty challenging because It's not so much that score wise, you have to be outstanding, but it's just the pressure because you're playing 36 holes in one day Mm. and you have a score in mind, right? You have that expectation on you when you reach the first tee that morning, you're like, I got to shoot this number or better. You know, even if it is a 76 for two rounds, it's still a little bit daunting because of that sort of tournament setting Mm. and, you know, having that target score in mind.
1: And is it, um, is it certain courses that uh, meet the criteria in terms of slope rating or something along those lines? Like it has to be a certain level of difficulty that I would imagine as well. Yeah, they set
3: the course up or the courses up uh, pretty consistently. They're not not super long, but they try to make it scorable. But that being said, like we played the dune grass, which I don't know if you guys have played there, but it's... Pretty tight, pretty narrow. A lot of layup shots, target golf. Mm. You hit one 4T shot, you're making a bowie or double really quickly, and you know it's demanding. Like I said, with all the pressure that's kind of put on you for that one day.
1: Gotcha. Well, well, thanks for sharing that because I, I think that's really important um, um, landscape here for listeners to hear. Is that well, obviously, we'll what does it mean to become a PGA professional? And obviously you're uh, well on your path there to get there, but also from a teaching and training perspective that that's also important, which is why we wanted to ask you to come on was you, obviously you have that bent where, you know, you have a lot of pros in the area that, you know, they're running their, their course, right. And they're really, maybe, maybe they do teaching, but maybe that's not really their sole bent. So again, we, we wanted to make sure that that was our focus here today with you, but love to just hear a little bit about your podcast, right? So main golf, talk podcasts. Love to hear the genesis of that. And for those who haven't checked you out, love to hear about um, maybe what you guys are talking about, what your goal with it is, and how you think it's going so far.
3: Yeah. So it all kind of started, honestly, because of COVID, right? And I think we started in like April or May of uh, 2020. And you know, at the time, I was kind of at a standstill because we weren't able to have our golf season with Bates. Mm-hmm. I had just met Dana, honestly, and we were kind of starting to talk about caddying up for her on the LPGA tour. And, you know, wasn't a lot going on. So I reached out to Zach, my, my buddy who's the head professional up at Sugarloaf. And we just got started talking about how we can do some content together, whether it was instruction or... You know, I'm pretty busy on Instagram, so we just were kind of throwing some ideas out there. And then we're like, you know, what about uh, a podcast that kind of focus on um, bringing further exposure to main golf, right? So we just kind of started it. My dad's a graphic designer. I, we put a logo together in like two days. We just went with it, and we've had some amazing guests on. We had Mike Bender on, who's Golf Digest number three instructor uh, in the country and we had a, i mean his student austin Trudslow was on a corn ferry tour uh, we've had i mean just numerous great guests by clark who designed uh, belgrade lake so we've been really fortunate
1: and i'll um i'll just kind of put a plug here too so i have not listened to every one of them but there's a bunch that i really liked one was Corey lewis Cause I think that, mm-hmm. uh, so Corey Lewis and the episode you did with him in the summer was, was something that really resonated because I think that's, that's what we're, we're kind of talking about here about golfing and retirement. But, you know, Corey Lewis's story was, he wanted to play 2000 courses and they were really Donald Ross courses, what he wanted to play. Right. So he and his wife traveling around the country going around and playing all these Donald Rosses. And for those that don't know, Donald Ross is an architect uh, of various golf courses in the, was it early 1900s? Yeah. yeah. Something along those lines. So, uh, so he was a pretty popular architect did lots of, um, you know, of course lots of kind of robust 18 hole courses and, and, you know he obviously there's a bunch in maine as well either 18 or nine holes but uh but that was one thing is like well what are we going to use as a purpose in retirement what's something that brings us pleasure what's something that we think is fun that maybe we can enjoy with our spouse and that's one of the things that Corey brought up in the show with you guys so i thought he did a you guys did a really great job bringing that out from Corey and having this conversation what is and of course he's going around the country and what's different about maine golf than other states and other regions and other areas so i thought that was a that was a Really cool episode. Yeah, I appreciate that. And he, you
3: know, he was a great guest because, I mean, number one, the little secret about that episode is, and we didn't really talk about this, he's actually a Golf Digest raider. So he travels the country rating these courses. So that's part of the reason he's able to get on, you know, Pine <laughs> Valley um, yes. and other courses like that. But because uh, Pine
1: Valley. And by the way, that was like his thousandth golf course, right? That he, yeah. would, he went to. And that's ex- extremely private, really hard to get into is my understanding of that. Mm-hmm. Right?
3: Yeah, no, it's probably one of the top 10 or 15 private clubs in the country. But anyways, you know, I, you hear about people retiring and they, you know, they get a Winnebago and they go National Park kind of hopping. Uh, he's kind of the golf course hopper, right? So um, he and his wife are planning trips up to like Cabot Links or going to abandoned dunes or wherever they're going. I just think that's, uh, it's such a cool thing to see. And one of the reasons we, we ask so many of our guests in the wicked fire round, we call it, uh, their favorite courses in Maine is so, uh, listeners can kind of, you know, because we know everyone's going to say a different course, right? Mm-hmm. They aren't all going to say Sugarloaf. They're not all going to say Belgrade. They're going to say Kibo or Crowdsnack or, you know, even some nine-hole courses. So it gives our listeners the opportunity to hear about some of these great courses that Maine has to offer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even regionally, where in the state they can go to kind of mix things up.
1: And what's pretty cool about, again, what your show is kind of doing, and maybe it's the course is pretty, uh, is important part of what we're, what you're trying to highlight, but also the experiences that people have on the golf course. And, you know, I listened to the show, uh, cause I've golfed at Goose River before with Alex Plummer, uh, Plum Dog, right? So he's talking about his course, but the culture he has at his course is a lot different. And, you know, and some people will golf barefoot or they'll have their dog with them or, you know, it's just a different culture that you're, you, would then experience that, you know, I think prototypically or stereotypically at maybe a more private course or maybe a more up end. That there's lots of ranges, just like all people. And it doesn't have to be that, you know, here's the stereotype in my mind that I have to be buttoned up, I have to have this level of skill. That there's lots of really great casual courses with really great features around the state.
3: Absolutely. I think it's you, you hit it right on the head with the. The dogs out the golf course i mean it, it's really funny how that argument comes to be it's like are we allowed to have dogs on the golf course are we not you, you're seeing cl- more and more clubs go to that but uh you have a wide range of types of courses designers uh, nine holes 18 holes how quickly you get around how long does it take uh, are you walking are you riding those sorts of things so um, I think people like the variety. I think people like the fact that in Maine, you can have ocean golf courses and mountain golf courses. That's pretty unique to our state. I think for the most part, it's a pretty laid back state in terms of golf. I think, uh, you know, you go to, let's say the, the metropolitan area, of New Jersey, you have a lot more of these private clubs that maybe you're walking only with a caddy or um, it's a little more structured. So I think people like that. They come up to Maine, even if they're from out of state, if they're, uh, you know, hanging out on desert Island or something, they can go out for nine holes and just kind of relax and get the ocean breeze. So there's a lot to to love about in
1: mean, golf, I just want to say, you guys with your show is even though know, you're maybe newer as well, which we are, right? In terms of kind of pushing these out and getting this content, but I think you guys are capturing that spirit really well. Is that you know these people are kind of talking about it and showing that accessibility, but I think that's why again from our end we want to kind of highlight this as an episode on our show because you know I think with golf is as kind of a a hobby. Is you know again from our and we've also heard from a lot of guests over our shows that hey they've downplayed it. Well, you can't golf, uh, you know, sixteen hours a day, you know, three hundred sixty five days a year in the state of Maine, right? You, so you, that that's not the only thing you could be doing in in retirement, right? R- retirement has to be much more than that. So with that idea is that, but we do still need hobbies like golf to keep us busy, active, and enjoying life, right? Is you know, which I think that's one of the kind of cool things about this sport is you're outside you're enjoying probably again uh maine's got terrific uh maybe two and a half seasons uh i know mud seasons maybe the the part that's a little bit more brutal but you know we you have some really kind of fun area where you want to be outside enjoying it and i will say from our end i probably golf the most i've ever golfed was this last year Because, you know, being in your house, being in, uh, seeing your own four walls and going outside and seeing maybe a friend, but being socially distanced that whole time, that was the one time that I could connect with somebody and have a relaxed round, be outside, really enjoy it, but also be safe during this pandemic. And so I, boy, I talk about the value I got personally from that experience of I needed to connect with people. And But also be outside and and just have some fun playing a game. So I I could see where from a retiree perspective, that's something where I think a lot of people want is I want to connect with others as they get older. I want to continue to be active and stay fit, uh, but I want to also be outside. So for those, let's start here as a question. So with those that are approaching retirement or retirees, if they've not golfed before or really haven't golfed much and really want to get into the game, how would you recommend that they start and progress their skill?
3: Well, I'd say number one, most people at some point in their lives have some athletic background, right? Even from a younger age, uh, even if it's been 20 years, they've been working an office job and you know, now they've decided to pick up the game. Most everyone has that sort of athletic background or something along those lines. So it's if you can tap into that, Right, that's number one. But I would say the second thing would be to look for a local professional. There's a lot of great options out there for you. You don't have to take just an individual lesson. It could be a nine and wine, um, which a lot of these courses have across the state, where it's sort of an introductory level, where you kind of go meet some of your friends. You can sign up as a group. You have a set of clubs, maybe they provide clubs, and it gives you the option to kind of get in the game and feel comfortable and not sort of pressured by uh, stepping up to a lesson tee for your first ever time touching a golf club. (laughs) Um, I will say, though, that that apprehension can go away really quickly when you hit a drive 100, 200 yards off the tee straight down the middle of the driving range. So whatever sort of tension or uh, apprehension you have built up that Maybe it's not the calling that you're looking for in retirement. I would say give it a try because it's amazing um, how many great instructors and coaches there are across even just the state of Maine that you can go up and uh, have a lesson within four or five swings. You hit that one shot and you're hooked. I'm telling you, I've seen it. It, It's amazing. It's like bang.
1: I'll tell you, Henry, too. Just a quick story. Personally, is I think that's how I started. Like even in like after high school, was you know I just had a friend that said, "Hey, we're going golfing today." I'm like I've never done it. Uh, you know I don't care. We're I got some clubs, extra ones. We're gonna go out and have some fun, and I think that was the biggest thing was just being out there and just trying it. I will say from my own end is until I got lessons, which I probably was like four or five years ago and really started getting serious and taking lessons. The amount of enjoyment I got out of that has been even more exponential because all of a sudden it's like, okay, d- If I'm not obviously I'm not maybe practicing all the time, but I have I've honed in enough fundamentals that maybe I can execute a the shot I want every two or three shots. The fact, as you just said, is like when you can flight a ball the way you want, and it you go wow. Now that's that's what I was trying to do, and that's the addicting thing for me is this. It's really fun to be able to execute. And what I've also learned was hey the majority the average golf golfer out there is like a handicap of eighteen to. 20%. 20. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was getting in and I'm going to be like the, the 30, 35 and everybody else is a seven. Right. And I'm just going to be the worst one on the course, holding everybody up. And that I think for me was, that was my apprehension of, I'm going to be so bad that I'm going to feel unwelcome and not feel I'm a part of this. But when I think when you look around or you be part of these scrambles. You know, everybody has these limitations to their golf games, and it is a tough game. And but I think it's that's been the fun part is that you know everybody has their own kind of struggles with it, and they're not that much better than you. I, I they're not that further away from you in terms of skill level. I guess is what uh, what I'd say for those that are starting.
3: Right? We're all terrible at one point. <laughs> yeah. Tiger Woods and yep. Jack Nicholas and Annika Sorenstam—they were all terrible at one point. So. We all had to pick it up at one point. And with anything in life, learning something new, there's some apprehension, but if you can just kind of be open-minded to it and say, you know what, it looks fun. And the thing is like, you don't have to be a tournament golfer. You can make this a social sport. That's the great thing about golf is it's a sport of a lifetime. You can play it into your nineties. I know people over hundred that have played golf. So that's pretty cool. And the other thing is, like I said, you know, if you have some friends or uh, go out for a little social time, it doesn't have to be like a money match every time or playing in the main state amateur championship. It can be, let's go out, play, see if we get nine holes in on the, Friday night, it's, you know, four o'clock, we'll just go out, get some parks, get some drinks and go play football. It's like that's fun too. So,
2: um, so you had the perfect segue into my next question. So can we talk about golf accessibility as we age, right? So you just mentioned that it's good for people even into their nineties and even into their hundreds. So how is it approachable for those who, you know, have maybe flexibility or mobility issues and is the game adapting more to people with those types of issues? And if, so, how is it adapting?
3: Yeah, I mean, I would say ever since kind of the 90s, 2000s, you've seen a lot more developments in technology and biomechanical studies. And let's say that like TPI, a lot of people have heard TPI, which, Well, TPI is the Titleist Performance Institute. And they've done a lot of research on biomechanics and, and how we can get certain areas of the body to, to, to move better and increase mobility so you can you know, reach certain positions better and hit the golf ball farther. So there's been a lot of developments on that side of the game, and a lot of the professionals, coaches are now trained in biomechanics and are uh, TPI certified, or at least have a, a decent understanding of of uh, certain abilities and and can can cater to you and adapt their their sort of methodology or, or whatever they're coaching. So if you can't let's say get the club very vertical in your backswing, right? They can keep they can adapt and say, okay, well you're gonna have a shorter, flatter backswing. That's fine. Here's how you guys still deliver the club to the ball. So it's not the it, it, the student really dictates how the, the lesson should be. It's not the coach that dictates how the lesson should be. And I would I would implore you to look for a coach and stick with a coach that works around you, the student and you know, you're know sort of uh, the things that work well for you and the things that maybe you struggle with because we're all different right? I mean, even twins biomechanically have some differences and Mm -hmm. they've done a lot of research on this. And, you know, that's why clubs are fit differently for people. And even the four of us should all probably be playing different golf balls. So that research that's been done over the last 20, 30 years has really helped, I think, kind of push along the idea that um, there's different swings and there's different clubs and Yeah. So I I really feel like it's the most approachable it's ever been the sport because you can come in and even if you struggle with certain ranges of motion, you know, you get this driver that's a lot bigger now, a lot more favorable for you to hit. You tee it up high, you get this ball that has low spin and it just goes forever. So if you can start with that, get down in the fairway. And from there, you can just sort of chip it up on the green and continue to play. So mm-hmm. I think it's, it's only going to keep improving as, as we get uh, more and more used to this understanding that the student kind of dictates lesson and how we can help them find their best swing.
4: Henry, I want to rotate a little bit and talk about golf specifically in Maine. And I know you had an episode of your podcast, uh, back in April, um, called the Maine 18, um, where you talked about kind of building an 18 hole course throughout the state. Um, you know, with some of your favorite holes and whatnot, I want to look at that list in kind of, you know, what may be your list of the best golf in Maine, and look at it from an angle as, you know, we've been talking about whether they're beginners to golf or the mid to high handicappers. And does that list change? You know, I think, for me, when I think about the best courses in Maine, I think about the views and the like you mentioned the ocean, but then I also think about trying to play somewhere like the Sam said, if I've never played golf before, and I think that may not be enjoyable, you know, for, for the sense of the golf struggle part. So can you just kind of talk about how that list of, of best golf may change, you know, for people who may not have the most skill in the game of golf?
3: Yeah. So one great thing about our sport is, is the handicap right? So, and Ben, you brought this up, you know, the average handicap for a golfer is what, somewhere around 20, we'll say. Mm-hmm. So with handicap, you could play me in a match and then based on the, the course, I will give you a certain amount of strokes for that round. And even if you do hit it in the ocean or whatever, <laughs> eventually, theoretically, the match would be somewhat even and it'll be competitive because, Let's say you get a stroke on a par four where there's really no trouble. Mm. If you hit a few good shots, you're going to, you're probably going to win that hole against me. So it's the, the one thing with, with handicap that we probably have an advantage on over most any other sport is it gives the opportunity for everyone to kind of compete and be sort of level have that opportunity whereas like let's say you and i were playing tennis against each other you might have like this filthy backhand and i might have an overhand serve that goes 150 miles an hour whatever it is someone's going to have a clear advantage and there's no way to really handicap that sure right the net doesn't get higher for you and lower for me (laughs) right so that's the one beauty in golf is that uh, with that handicap if you are playing a tournament where it's handicapped or playing with some buddies, you can play those games and go to any course. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're just playing stroke, uh, straight up stroke play and you want uh, a challenge versus an easier course, yeah, you're going to go to those ocean side or go up to Sugarloaf yep. where it's like tree lined everywhere and like you get a ball that's gone no matter what. <laughs> um, so there's definitely courses that cater better towards sort of your beginner player the other nice thing is there's certain tee boxes, right? So there's uh you know, they call it a ladies tee, but well, let's call it the forward tee, number 1, mm-hmm. because if you're just getting into the game, right? Why would you step back to the farthest back tee when it, the course is already longer to begin with? It's a it's a harder test and right off the bat because it's longer. So when you're first starting in the game, and what we've been doing more and more now with junior players is You know, at the age of five, six or seven, when they're just getting in is let's start them really close to the green, even ahead of those forward tees, talking like 60 yards and see if they can make a three, we'll call it a par. Mm -hmm. And then once they have achieved that, they move back incrementally. So kind of like laddering, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the approach I would take as you start into the game is, you know, get aligned with a coach who can help you technical wise, the technique wise. And then, when you go to the course and you're just trying it or, or making sure to keep up with the group ahead of you as well, right start close to the green and work your way back once you feel kind of confident and you can and you keep keep up and uh you're starting to hit it better right
4: mm, I like that and and kind of to to follow up there too if you know kind of- re- what I hear you saying is regardless of kind of skill, there's ways to do these these golf trips and enjoy it, and you know specifically in the state of maine. There's a ton of good golf, whether, it, like you said, you're a single-digit handicap or just picking up a club for the first time, you can enjoy it. Kind of a, a general question for you, you know, if I'm building a golf bucket list, kind of what should we include on that list? Or what do you think people should include as they try to, you know, have this bucket list of golf, whether it's just in Maine or wherever? Like, are there some fundamental like aspects from your perspective that people should try to include and, and check off that list.
3: Are we just, that we're talking about golf courses specifically?
4: Yeah. Or, you know, or the experience of a golf trip, say, you know, whether it's, you know, stay some stay on a resort that has 13 courses if you can. So you, you know, or is it travel a new place every day, I guess, kind of the overall golf trip.
3: Okay. Yeah. Golf trip. So You know, I would say in Maine, I mean, if if you're living in Maine, you can do everything really in one day, unless you're going up to maybe your Valley, which I haven't done. I'm waiting to do that. I'm excited to do that. But yeah, most every trip you can do in Maine, you can get to Sugarloaf in two hours. Uh, You could stay overnight and go to Sunny River. You could play Belgrade on the way up and make it a a, a stay the night trip. Um, So there's a lot of opportunities in Maine, but you can do a lot of them in one day, which is great. Uh, if you're traveling outside of the state you know I've heard great things about like Bandon Dunes there's Song in Florida any of those properties where you can kind of go spend a few days and they have multiple courses mm. I think Bandon is up to like seven courses now <laughs> and every single one of them is like in the top hundred on Golf Digest which <laughs> is crazy mm. definitely more on the high end side but you know the the idea that you can just go there and just kind of like be in golf heaven for a week is just like, that's such a cool thing. Yeah. But outside of that, there's a lot of courses in New England too. You can go to like even Western Massachusetts. There's some great courses uh, down that way that no one really knows about. So, you know, you can go a lot of little trips anywhere, honestly. But that's the thing about golf is just like, you go anywhere you go, it's, it's a new experience, right? and uh i hate to kind of hit on tennis here but like all the courts are the same right so i guess you could be playing in a nice environment like wimbledon or something but um you know, with golf, it's, it's a different experience and different, uh, landscapes. So,
4: mm.
1: So Henry, I'd love to ask then, uh, even maybe go even further on the travel part because, so I've never traveled in golfed. So I've always just kind of golfed locally and done that thing. So the whole, uh, kind of going somewhere is a, is a bit of a mystery here. So if, if I'm going to go travel to, to say band of dunes or I go somewhere and I'm going to do a golf trip, what's the best way to do that? Should I be bringing my own clubs with me? Um, should I be renting when I get there? Like are these trips generally kind of generally like, I really need a few days to do this. I need like three or four or five days to make these trips worthwhile. Like what's the typical experience when we travel, especially out of state, longer distances to to get into like a golf vacation.
3: Right. So the, the nice thing with the, the bags, transporting the clubs uh, I would recommend bringing your own clubs if you can, unless you're going to like Jamaica or Bahamas or something. A lot of these courses do have good rental sets, so that's nice. Even Sugarloaf has great rental sets. But I would suggest bringing your own clubs, especially if you've been fit for them, which I also <laughs> recommend everybody does. Please do not, <laughs> please, uh, fit your clubs if you haven't already. Um, playing clubs from 1980 will not serve you well in, in the, in the sport. So. But I would recommend bringing your own clubs. Uh, You have ship sticks now, which is great. You can send your clubs right to the clubhouse for like 30, 40 bucks or something like that. So if you're there for like four or five days, you just put it in a box, they ship it, boom, it's there.
1: Interesting. So that's what's way better than I have to take it to the, it's on the airplane with me. I got to do, you know, I got to the other luggage and get my clubs and then bring it to the hotel. That So that would be the hassle to me was if I didn't know that you could ship right to the clubhouse, that would be phenomenal. Right. Yeah, I mean, you've heard nightmare
3: stories of like, oh, I brought my clubs on the plane. My driver broke, my mm. brand new tailor-made, whatever, $500 I had the special shaft, everything, blah blah blah. But <laughs> Shipsticks has been around now for um, like ten plus years now, and mm-hmm. you just, yeah. They, I don't exact. I've never used it myself, but I've seen it used a few times. And when I was working at True North last year, we got Shipsticks clubs in like every day, mm-hmm. it like yeah, so that's awesome. Because True North is like one of the premier destinations that we're sort of talking about right now. Mm-hmm. So that's convenient, and then. Yeah, I mean, I, I would suggest uh, bringing your own clubs. I, I really feel that if you have the opportunity to, it, it just makes the experience better too when you know you're playing your own mm. set, right? So, but, Absol- it, and then, yeah, sorry. I, yeah, from a, just... from, a,
1: from, a, from a confidence perspective, I think that's really important, right? Is, especially when you have been fit mm. and it's like, no, I know I hit this club, this distance, uh, it's used to doing this thing even just i've even played clubs that are very similar to what and fit and it just feels like i still don't have that confident level and if i lose any confidence at all then things can cascade and go really wrong and now <laughs> now the golf round goes horribly bad and i've not enjoyed it as much as i could so i'll i i echo what you're saying there henry um i'd love love to just hear about obviously just uh, quickly on the kind of the travel to places because I, I know when we actually had a travel advisor come on uh, her name is carrie forbringer one of the things we're saying around was, Hey, and travel and retirement is really tough because sometimes we, d- we have couples that don't really agree on what they want to do. Right. And I don't want to, you know, prototype or stereotype too much here, but say the, you know, one spouse says, I, I love to golf and the other doesn't well, maybe, you know, obviously if that spouse does want to go golfing, that they maybe find a group of buddies and they do the girls trip, they do the boys trip, they do whatever, all the, the golfers together go do that. And they don't feel guilty while they're doing that, that, Hey, here's somebody that really isn't into it, but they're doing it as a favor to me. And now I don't really enjoy it as much. So in terms of those experiences, like, is that, is that something that you're seeing happening? Obviously we're at pandemic times, but pre pandemic or post pandemic, is that something you're seeing kind of happening more is more traveling to, to kind of destinations?
3: Uh, yeah, definitely. These golf trips are, it's becoming an annual thing for a lot of these groups. And Sugarloaf, for example, is a place you see it like every day in the summer, in the peak season. Is groups of whether it's four or 40, these groups come from all over the place, usually Massachusetts and New York, but sometimes even Nebraska or Texas. Okay. These, uh, these groups really know what they're doing and they've been doing it for a while. One thing on these golf trips too is that once you're aligned with a coach or a PGA professional, a lot of these PGA professionals set up trips themselves. So you Mm -hmm. could be going to St. Andrews with your PGA professional with eight other members or whatever, have a, a three, four day trip where you get clinics every day, you get instruction and then you get to go play. Like that's, you've seen a lot of those trips as well. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of options. And you know, I, I would say sort of the destinations that you hear a lot about are obviously Myrtle Beach. And I brought up Bandon, but you, know, you have uh, Scotland and Ireland. And, yeah. um, but there's these groups all around. But the only way to really get into them and involved is by knowing somebody or just getting into the game, becoming a member at a golf course, playing in some of these uh, men's leagues, women's leagues, and then usually there's somebody that knows about these groups that travel around and it's always better to kind of i think get acquainted to those trips through somebody else that's been doing it for a while that way you kind of get the experience you kind of understand what's going on and that way if you do let's say you go with your significant other somewhere else and they want to go to the beach instead of play off you know how to easily set that up so then you guys can both be happy for that trip nice
1: I want to ask another question, Henry, here about uh, obviously that, you know, there's a lot of golfers out there that just really only golf casually, right? They just maybe go, you know, once a month, as you said, with your dad, maybe twice a year uh, going out. And in terms of what would you say about, hey, if somebody says, hey, I've always golfed casually, and now I am retired, I have more time, I do want to do this more. How do they weigh becoming a member at a golf course? Right? What would be the kind of the inputs, you would say, hey, here's the benefits of becoming a member and when it would become worthwhile to you. Obviously, I'm just thinking outside the financial realm for a second, but just in terms of what should I become a member or not?
3: I think having at least a basic understanding of the game helps. You know, Having played a few times, making sure that you can get around the course, let's say play nine holes in under three hours, that's ideal. There's some certain things to learn, etiquette and the rules, like Uh, You don't need to know every rule, but certainly a basic understanding before getting a membership. I would I would start with that. Mm -hmm. Having uh, played a few times with somebody that, you know, that kind of understands those things to help kind of guide you. Mm -hmm. And if it is just your PGA coach, that's great, too. Once you sort of have that basic understanding, uh, certainly with membership there's there's a lot of options and some of these clubs will do a trial membership or a social membership which Mm -hmm. allows you to sort of experience the club uh even outside of a playing side where you know some of these courses will have gyms and every like social gatherings and things like that you can get involved with but it gives you the chance to experience that membership prior to really you know joining right so you could start with that but Uh, usually from a membership standpoint, it's like, do you want to play nine holes? Do you want to play 18 holes? There's certain memberships for that. There's play cards you could play. Let's say you're more on a tight budget and you don't really play a lot. You could get a 10 play card at some of these courses Mm -hmm. where it's a little bit discounted. And and maybe that's a good way of kind of getting you involved, right? it's, it's kind of similar to some of these gym memberships you see where they kind of start you out like sort of trial basis or first few months or discounted, whatever it is. There are those options in golf. So that's, that's great. And even from an instruction standpoint, uh, like I was saying before, You know, there's there's certain clinics you can get involved with and and things to kind of get you in the door Mm. and experience it and see if you really enjoy it before making that sort of financial decision on the sport and whether you're really going to commit to it.
4: Mm. I I like that. So I want to rotate a little bit again on you here. So when the three of us were were thinking about this show and and getting excited about it, we were thinking about a uh, the group of listeners that or our clients, you know, who would really learn a lot from this episode. And um, I think we concluded that we can estimate that they're probably competitive people. So and you think about with golf, and you know, I know we talked about it a little bit ago with the beauty of the handicap system and how it it naturally tries to keep things even, you know, because naturally. Some people are a lot better at other than others at this game. What are some other ways, you know, that friends can just get together, whether it's types of games they can play on the course? You know, if I'm going out tomorrow with three of my buddies and we're all across the spectrum on skill level, are there certain like types of, you know, rounds to play golf, like different game modes within within just playing a round of golf that could, you know, make it fun and competitive regardless of how good we are? Could you just share, you know, some of those?
3: Yeah, I I think... There's a new game that gets developed within golf every single year. <laughs> I swear, um, it there's it's like there's unlimited choices, right? There's individual. You can just play by yourself. Go well, out, play nine holes in the afternoon, whatever it is. If you bring your body, you guys could play a couple other people. Best ball. You can play a scramble, so it's a team event. It doesn't have to be just individual. Again, so the great thing about golf is that you have options and Mm -hmm. it can be communal or it can be individual. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it's nice to mix it up once in a while. And even at the highest level, you're seeing that you have your Ryder cups, you have your two man events now, Mm -hmm. right? So you're seeing more and more of that as well. And it's exciting. I mean, who doesn't love the Ryder cup or the Solheim cup? I mean, those two events are just, i mean it's awesome Mm -hmm. so you have a lot of options and even a lot of these courses do have a sort of weekly scramble or a a league or um, some type of sort of fun more laid-back event maybe there's a little money or prizes on the line you have your closest to the pin or the (laughs) long drive like there's little games within the game. There's so much fun. And, you know, even someone that has just picked up the game, they have no clue what they're doing. They can step up on a par three, hit a driver, takes a few funny bounces, goes in the hole. They win closest to the pin and they get a hole one. I've seen it before. It'll happen again. So, I mean, that, how can you beat that? Right.
2: Um, so bouncing back to what we were talking about a minute ago with affordability, right? So as financial advisors, we often talk about how affordable things are in retirement. And we've talked about a lot of things, right? Your own set of clubs and getting fit for them and coaching and membership. So can you kind of speak to what the affordability of some of these things are um, for people getting into the game?
3: Yeah, so... I think this goes back to if you have the option to start with a, a coach or professional, whether it's the club professional or an instructor at the course, they can be a great guide for you, let alone just from a technical standpoint, what you're doing in your swing and your short game. They can be a great guide as far as, okay, I want to be a member of this course. How do we get there? What are what are my goals, right? How can we achieve these together? So you get up to a certain playing level, you can become a member. Okay, now I want to go on a trip, right? Oh, well, you probably shouldn't go on a trip until you've gotten fit for your clubs because you're going to want good clubs that you can bring with you. So, having that sort of guide, it, it really provides that service so that along the way you kind of can make those decisions. And um, I, you know, I wouldn't recommend for everyone to just step in and say, "Okay, well, I'm going to get a membership, fit my clubs, get a, a lesson." Uh, you know, you're talking thousands of dollars right off the bat, Mm -hmm. right? Depending on where you are and what sort of course you're joining. But uh, if you can kind of just get through the door, start out with a clinic or maybe one lesson. Uh, If you have some used clubs, maybe start with that. That's great. A lot of these courses, if you take a lesson, will have clubs that they can bring with them. So even if you don't have clubs, it's like, oh, for an hour lesson, let's say you spend $75 on a lesson, right? For an hour. They'll bring the clubs, you get to experience it, see how it went. Maybe they say, okay, we actually have a little line and wine later today, or we have a clinic. You should stick by and, you know, things like that. That's how you kind of get in the door. And then, then they can set you up with the clubs. Then they can talk to you about membership. So having that guide, I think is, is important, or at least someone that's involved with the game, a friend that plays the game a lot. Cause I've, I've seen it too, where people get into it for like a week. They spend a few thousand dollars on clubs and get a membership and then they don't really experience it all. And they don't get to, they don't stay after that first year. Mm. I think uh, sort of that more long-term approach and gradually building your way up. And then um, that's more the approach I would take because if you do it right, let's say you do get fit for your clubs, those clubs could last you 10 plus years right? Yeah. It's a little bit like skiing. I kind mm-hmm. of relate it to that where, you know, if you do it right, if you get the right skis, you can fit, find your sort of the trails that you like and the ones that you're not able to do, like the double black diamonds and moguls, you can still enjoy it, right? I like and um, sort of take that slow approach to improvement.
1: Anyway, I really like what you just said there too. Is is almost just establishing goals, and obviously, we're we're organizational people, financial Mm. planners, right? Is a lot of what we do. But kind of if again, what I what I just heard you say, which I thought was really great, and I want to highlight is being able to call that professional talk to them, say, here's where I'm at, right? I've never picked up a club before. I really don't know what I'm doing. I need help. And here's what I'd like to accomplish, right? In the first year, I'd like to be able to get the golf ball in the air, right? Or whatever that is, right? Here's here's kind of my goals. so that I eventually at the end of this, this season or this year, I can then at least go out and play with my friends. And, you know, I can, with a handicap system, at least I can feel like I'm keeping up a little bit. Right. Things like that, I think, is really important. Or, hey, what's really important to me is I'm really lonely, right? Is I don't have a whole lot of friend network. I've really been busy my career. I'm retired and I want to meet people. Right. So it's really important for me to be able to just kind of meet new people, kind of have fun conversations, enjoy some of this uh, together with somebody else. I don't know. That's important for me. Right? There are lots of different goals and that golf is the vessel to do it. And what I hear you say is you know, just expressing that to the professional and saying, what do you think I should do? Because your point about being fit is, well, maybe I should wait until I get some skill, then get fit. And then the clubs will be good for 10 years versus if I get fit immediately in my golf, you know, less my, my golf skills not there, I get fit. And then all of a sudden I've, maybe I've done really well. I've really improved. And now my golf clubs really don't fit me anymore. Something along those lines. Right.
3: Right. Well, a lot of, a lot of professionals will be the fitter or they'll mm-hmm. go to the fitting with you. Mm-hmm. So if you have a sort of technical thing you're working on, they can be at the fitting and, and tell the fitter, well, you know, yes, that line angle would be good for them right now, but can we try this line angle, or this chaff length or whatever, because this is how we're kind of adjusting their swing. So they can be there throughout that process. And again, like if, if you're paying them and they're there with you, right? They're going to help you along the way and they're going to be your sort of guide and i think that's what you're finding more with these coaches and, and instructors is it's not just a one-off lesson hmm. it's a sort of uh holistic approach to okay now we have the fitness side we can go to tpi hmm. and then we have the club fitting side and then we have let's go on this trip to the uk like it's gonna be great we'll play some games it's gonna be a four-day trip and then there's obviously the technical coaching side so the, the coaches, the PJ professionals, they're coming at it from a much broader view now. It's not just this narrow focus of your club needs to be in this position at, at this point in your swing. Yeah. It's much more than that.
4: Yeah, that's great. So we've reached the, the end of our show, Henry, you know, and I think... It's very clear that you've spent a lot of time, if not your whole career, you know, making people feel more successful and happier on the golf course. I want to kind of flip it around and talk about your own personal success and happiness. Um, So one question we like to ask everyone is, how would you define a successful retirement? So sitting here today and looking ahead 30, 40 years to your own retirement what do you think would that will entail to be kind of deemed successful? Well, this is probably going to change about a hundred times. <laughs> <now> in retirement.
3: <laughs> I would say, I would say right now, the opportunity to, to travel, to play golf and still be involved from a coaching perspective. Mm-hmm. I look at a lot of these professionals that, especially the coaches who I, I look up to and whether it's Butch Harmon or David Ledbetter, some of these names you might know who are 70, 80 years old and still coaching the game. Mm-hmm. And they love it. I mean, Harvey Pennick, who was probably one of the best instructors ever, I think coached till the day he died, which is like, oh, he's 88 or whatever he was. I can't remember, but that's pretty cool. I don't know if I'd want to be on the lesson tee all day long, but mm-hmm. the idea of still being involved at some capacity And even coaching myself, because I'm always trying to learn. I don't think I know the the least thing about trying to go out and shoot like 10 under par. I mean, I I still got to improve my game as well. Like Mm -hmm. to say that anyone has this sport conquered is, I mean, even Tiger Woods is trying to get better every day. So for me, yeah, retirement, having the opportunity to travel and play and still coach. I love going to different courses in different regions. Uh, I'm a national park goer too. So that would be kind Mm -hmm. of a dream scenario where I could kind of national park hop, go play a course and then do that as well. So, yeah. Nice.
1: Well, Henry, thank you so much for being on the show today Again, learned a lot. But just anytime we can talk golf anyway, uh, always a good excuse regardless. But for a lot of retirees that uh, that we know that really want to get into this, I think this will be a really good resource, really good help for them in the future. So can't thank you enough for being on the show today. Appreciate your time.
3: Yeah, no, thank you. I appreciate you guys having me on. And uh, I hope that our listeners have the opportunity to, to get out on the course this summer. We were up 30 to 40% last year in Maine. So I expect it's just going to keep going up. So. Thank you, listeners, for playing. And if you're just getting into the game, uh, stick with it. Stay relaxed because it can be pretty stressful at times, but uh, it'll all work out. We'll start hitting that driver straight and you'll be like, oh, my gosh, I love this game.
1: So. <laughs> all right, Henry, well, thank you so much. We'll We'll catch you next time. Yeah, thank you. It's really great to have Henry Fall on the podcast today. Again, he, of course, is a co-host of, of the Maine Golf Talk podcast. But what we were really interested in was especially his his bent as a coach, mm-hmm. right? He's a coach for Bates College and he he kind of just in passing mentioned this but he has a tour caddy for like on the LPGA right yeah. for for a lady which is why he's out in uh Arizona there during the winter as he does caddy work so like kind of has a lot of different various ranges of experience we wanted to bring to the show today so i think henry did a really great job representing all of that and i know we we covered a Really wide range of things today, right? Is there's so much we could kind of get into, but we wanted to make sure it was. We're trying to make it as accessible as we could was the goal of today. So apologize if it got a little bit in the weeds uh, here and there, but I think uh, Henry did a good job kind of keeping it on a on a very kind of topical basis. Mm -hmm. So as always, like to highlight uh, lessons that we learned from each show. So I'd like to have Abby just kind of start with Abby. What is something that you took away from the show today?
2: Yeah. Um, so as somebody who doesn't really golf, I th- thought he did a really good job um, making the sports seem very accessible to people who um, you know don't play very often or just getting into it. And I thought his point about different courses have different personalities was a really good point. So you can find one that kind of matches what you're looking for. Um, you're going to feel more comfortable and more confident getting out there and playing. So I thought that was just a really good point that he made.
1: Right. Yeah, I agree. Because yeah. again, that's something where you know i think everyone has this idea in their head of what they think it's going to be when they step on a golf course right mm-hmm. that they they think it's this uh, really high intensity you have to have lots of money and lots of comparisons going on and which is why I, I, we want to bring up alex Plummer episode on um, uh, goose river down uh in lincolnville right mm-hmm. down by camden and and that's something where you know again barefoot um, and kind of a dog would, yeah. is going to fit right in there you you know there was um, a place up in Old Town, uh, Hidden Meadows, that uh, they had uh, golf surfboards, mm-hmm. right? That you could try out. So there's lots of kind of different cultures and experiences going around the state, and it can vary from course to course. Which is the cool thing of what obviously they mentioned in their show is, is highlighting different cultures and, and what's kind of happening in different places. Because of course the the higher end golf courses that cost more money, that are more established, those are going to be the prettier, the more maintained, and and kind of give you those views, but uh, there's lots of different ways to experience the sport across the state. Mm. But Curtis, from your end, what it was something that you took away?
4: Yeah, you know, I think it kind of it kind of takes the accessibility that Abby was talking about in and goes a little deeper and you know once you're actually playing the game i think henry did a great job of just talking about how like everyone can play this game don't worry about if you're not great if you've never played or if you're way better than all your friends like there's ways to play this game to make it you know seem even and and competitive and you know whether it's you know we talk about people who may be using this idea the the fear of you know, not fitting in at a golf course and, you know, holding other people up or, you know, you look around and everyone's so much better than you. Like there's ways to still play golf and not like hold up. Like you're not going to bother everyone else by just going out and trying to play golf. And obviously the more you play and hopefully you love it and, you know, things will get better. And, and, you know, I think he just did a really good job explaining how literally everyone can play golf together. (laughs)
1: I'll, I'll, I'll share a story too, is I have a client that I've worked with for probably almost 20 years now. And after her husband passed, she moved to Florida. Mm -hmm. So she moves to Florida, I think 72. So she takes up golf for the first time at 72. She's uh, again, 90 or 91, 92 today. So she golfs 18 holes every day. You know, I think she's down to like a 15 or 14 handicap, Mm. right? She's, she's, and she goes, I have so much fun with my friends and we just enjoy the sun. We come back afterwards. We have a nice lunch together. She goes, it is the best part of my day. And I just, something I just picked up like pretty, you know, which again, for some people go at 72, isn't this too late? And she goes, no, this has kept me active. This has kept Mm -hmm. me social. This has kept me the best version of myself during retirement. And, And that's, that's somebody I was thinking about when we were kind of talking about content was, was this today. And I'll, I'll kind of add another point is, I think Henry ended the episode on a really solid note was the idea of coaching versus teaching because mm-hmm. I think what um, the, you know this legacy model we've seen in golf has been you need help you sign up and you get one lesson or two lessons and you spend an hour with one person which by the way when you do it on that model you know, I've had that experience that all of a sudden you try one thing and then by the way you you forget some of the lessons then you kind of incorporate the new lesson to the old thing you did and now you're in the middle and now you're, you got lots of pain, so with Henry, what he's talking about is more coaching is. Is you're seeing more of these golf pros getting into what are you trying to accomplish? Let's set one goal. Let's really try to take it one step by one step. And that's one thing that Carrie Forbringer said as being a travel advisor that they've seen is not just transactional booking a trip. It's more coaching. You know, for us, for financial advisors, is you're turning this more. You're seeing more coaching and what do you want to do with your money and what do you envision that's happening? And again, that's the purpose of the show is obviously retirement and what do you want to do with it. And one thing is golf, and so I think. I think a lot of these things are kind of blending together, which is really great is again, it's life. It's not just, you know, one, one niche or the other. But I'll say from my own perspective, hey, I, I've loved that, hey, I've not been great in my past and I've gotten better the last four or five years, but still probably below average. But I have so much fun having these experiences and being out with friends and and getting outdoors where you know we're we're in an indoor environment a lot with our clients and in mm-hmm. our offices. So and he says right, it's like you hit one really phenomenal golf shot and that just sticks with you for a long time. That's that's a really phenomenal experience. So I think there's a lot of stuff that encapsulates what, um, you know, I I know Curtis plays uh, as well. Uh, But it's it's a lot of what I love personally about uh, the sport and what I get out of it. But Mm -hmm. Again, really, really excited to have Henry Fall on the show today. Again, we want to also point you to some more resources. Uh, you can go to blog.guidancepointllc.com backslash 38 or 38. So you can go to the website there and get some more resources. And we're going to point you to a little bit more of Henry's pieces. But also um, you can access Henry as a, as a coach too. So we'll have that link there with uh, links to main Golf Talk podcast. So really appreciate everybody tuning into the show today. They, again I know for those that maybe aren't into golf might not be your kind of number one show but for those that are thinking of it and for those that are really looking uh forward about what they want to do with their time uh hopefully we gave some good places to start here and uh, or e- again even if you're 72 or 80 still a great place to start and kind of working with somebody so reach out to the clubhouse find somebody that you can kind of connect with and put some goals in place and have some fun hitting some golf balls all right well everybody appreciate tuning in to retirement success and maine podcast until next time we'll see you later <laughs>
0: Ladies and gentlemen, you've just listened to an information-filled episode of the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. While this show is about finding more ways to improve your retirement happiness, Guidance Point Advisors' mission is to help our clients create a fulfilling retirement. We do financial planning so that people can enjoy retirement and align their monetary resources to their goals. If you're wondering about your own personal success, we invite you to reach out to us to schedule a 45-minute listening session